Do you believe Lynn and Jeff and the Baseball and Barbecue Podcast are getting a cup of coffee in the big leagues as part of the Believe Network? This is Doug Scheiding of Rogue Cookers, Barbecue World Champion and guest host. And I can't wait to listen to the 40 million followers cheering for the upcoming show content. I believe. Do you? Episode number 127 of Baseball and BBQ. We all know that the BBQ stands for barbecue. I am here with my incredible co-host, Jeff Cohen. I am Leonard Aberman, and we are thrilled to welcome you to our little home away from home, our podcast. Jeff, Leonard, how are you, you, Leonard? (laughs) I am doing great, Jeff. You know what? I, I, I wanted to just start with something. Tell us who we have on, because I'm very excited about tonight's guest. We have the, like you like to say, the perfect guest. We have former Major League player and barbecue and wine connoisseur, Steve Traxel. Yay! <laughs> Played for the yeah. Cubs, the Mets, the Orioles, the Blue Jays, mm-hmm. and the Rays. Yeah. 16 years in the Major Leagues, Jeff. 16. First of all, to make it to the majors, you got to be really good. Yeah. But 16 years, he was in baseball for 16 years. That's averaged, a long time. Average 200 innings a, a year. Yeah. It's, that, yeah. You don't hear that anymore. No, no, never. And Jeff, we have a very special guest co-host to help us. You know what? He did the heavy lifting for the interview because the heavy lifting is really the barbecue part because Steve Traxel really he came on, yeah, he wanted to talk baseball, but I think he really wanted to talk barbecue. And what better way to have a guest receive guidance from a champion pitmaster? So Doug Scheiding was on. Now, Jeff, I know we're baseball, but we just had a very exciting Elite Eight in the NCAA tournament. We are finally here. The top teams in college basketball have been determined and the final four is set looking to wager on these games or the national championship head over to betonline.ag on your desktop or your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit just use promo code believe that's b l e a v to get started Bet online remains your number one spot 
for all updated odds and info, along with player props and new contests throughout the year. It's the best source for all your sporting wagering needs, including live betting and everyone's favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so join today. Learn why everyone is saying bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on sports. Bet online where the game starts. And that's all I'm going to say about that, because now I think we should just get right to Steve Traxel. Excellent. Here's Steve and Doug. Joining us on Baseball and BBQ is a pitcher who had 16 years in the Major League career with the Cubs, Devil Rays, now just the Rays, Blue Jays, Mets and Orioles, a durable pitcher who averaged over 200 innings for his career, placed fourth in the Rookie of the Year balloting in 1994 and was a 1996 National League All-Star. Today, he's enjoying life, barbecuing and a wine connoisseur, the pride of Oxnard, California, Steve Traxel. Also joining us is our guest co-host, who's an avid Cubs fan. You know him as a champion pitmaster from Rogue Cookers, Doug Shining. Welcome, gentlemen. How's it going, guys? It's good to meet you, Doug. Leonard, hello. Good to, good well. to have you on. You know him, you love him, Doug Shining, and you're going to love him, Steve Traxel. It's great to have you both. Excited to be here. Looking yes. to learn something, Doug. What do you got for me? <laughs> yeah, okay. here we're going to talk a little barbecue. <laughs> Can I just say one thing, Steve? And knowing you have a good sense of humor, I, I just want to say one thing. We set aside three hours for this one hour interview. Okay. <laughs> <What's>, <laughs> right. you, gotta, you, you cook low and slow, right? That's exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> low, That's slow, and perfect. perfect. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Steve, by the way, Doug is a representative of Traeger Grills. So if you have anything for him, you know, he's very happy I, to answer any of those I questions. Do. I, I have a Traeger. All my buddies have Traegers. Awesome. Uh, we we swap uh, recipes, and I won't ask him to about my uh, temperature gauge problem two nights ago. But uh, <laughs> that uh, worked well, out well. Fix that. We can talk about that off offline in the <laughs> rare instance that might have happened. But yeah, I've got a, I've got a page on Traeger's website with with twelve recipes. So uh, I'll connect you with that. And uh, hopefully you'll uh, aggressive with my cleaning is what happened. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that'll that'll do it. I could do it. So that's why we have Steve on, by the way, to talk about Steve's barbecue career. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then we'll talk about Doug and how Doug pitched, you know, 200 innings uh, a season. No, no, not not (laughs) hardly. Our our listeners very confused in the sixth grade. But that was it. Yes. (laughs) So let's just get started. Steve, you were drafted in the eighth round in 1991 draft from California State University, Long Beach. Yes, and, dirt bags. And the, yeah, the, the dirt bag. That's an, I saw that. That's a, that's a nice name. Yeah. There. Well, we were the yeah. 49ers back then, and then you earned the nickname of, of becoming a dirt bag by your hard play. And basically, it was when you got done with practice, your uniform was all dirt, and then it carried over to the same thing with games. And yeah, now they are officially the dirt bags, and you know you see dirt bag little league teams now and dirt bag travel teams. So it's 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 really taken off. That's, that's great. And I see you as you're going through the minor league system of the of the Cubs. You were uh, your team went to the championship game, but you weren't allowed to play. What happened? Did you get called up? Well, no, I actually I pitched the game six uh, to get us to game seven. And uh, what happened was is they they called me in after the game. 
Mark Foley, the manager, and Bill Early, the pitching coach, and said, uh, yeah, the season's over after tomorrow night's game, win or lose, um, and you'll be going up to Chicago after tomorrow night's game. But you can't tell anybody because there's nine other guys on the team all going up, and we need to win game seven tomorrow night. So uh, you can call <laughs> your parents, and then that's it. <laughs> so luckily, we went on. Uh, we won game seven, basically partied till – who knows what time of the morning it was. And I packed up the, the truck and drove to Chicago the next morning, completely hungover. And yeah, along with nine other guys, it was great. That's great. So you get to Chicago to close out the uh, 93 season. I see. Yes. 17 right. days. <laughs> but then you make it, you know, you, you started out in 90, 94, you, you made the team. And this is something I, I read recently for the decade of the nineties, you led the team, you led the Cubs in wins. Innings pitch, strikeouts, and earn run average. Pretty good for some for seven years. Did a, yeah, did pretty good. You'd think it would uh, get me an invite to Wrigley Field or something, or uh, <laughs> but uh, it hasn't, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that because you, you basically you did what, the end of '93, uh, and then uh, the the rest of the years. That's it's pretty good since you weren't even with the team in the beginning of the year. Uh, yeah, I was, a, I was a little inconsistent. You know, it kind of seemed like a, it was, I don't know, it was odds or evens. One of the years I, was, I win, win a lot of games and doing real well, and then the next year for some reason would would struggle a little bit. But, yeah, that one year where, where I got sent down early, it was just it was an options issue. You know, there was five starters. We only needed four because of off days and such, and I was the only guy that had options left. So uh, mm. down for whatever it was, 10 days. Got to use up one of my options, which was kind of a minor plus, but it cost me an opening day start which I don't know if that's important to guys anymore, but back then, yeah, that was, that was important to me. And uh, yeah, being the, being the young guy, being the guy with options, is just you know, part of the business. Doug, you're a Cubs fan. So why don't you, that's how Steve started his career. So why don't you start us off with anything you want to know about uh, you Cub loving fan? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, I'm not going to wear this hat. I'm going to wear the championship Cubs hat tonight. Steve, you're okay with that. Cause I noticed most of your pictures, you have a Cubs hat on. I was, so. I was at the two games that they lost. <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> no. field, yeah. Oh, the guest of the Cubs went on my own. But, uh, uh, and then well. the people that knew I was there, like, dude, we lost both games. You're here. You got to go. I don't know if I'd repeat that story too much, but anyway, for future, uh, for future seasons, although I'm not sure this one is going to be it, but um, I know you had a lot of, you know, uh, Jeff mentioned your, you know, career uh, innings and stuff. What from a pitching stat, you know, you had two one hitters and things. Are there other pitching stats that, you know, was kind of your most proud of your, your favorite in your career? Um, Obviously my, my, my first game, you know, in the big leagues, you know, being at, at Wrigley field, Against the Marlins, I mean that's 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 what you've worked for since you know you're seven, eight, nine years old. You're dreamed of, I guess, when you were seven, eight, nine. Really started working at it, you know, by the time my senior, freshman year of college. But you know, I I, I know exactly the first four hitters that first inning. You know, Chuck Carr, Brett Barbary, Jeff Conine, and the rest is Estrada. So it was fly ball to center, ground wow. ball to second. Home run, strikeout. That was my first inning in the big leagues at Wrigley Field, and uh, I'll, I'll definitely never forget that. Yeah, the one hitter I threw with the Cubs. It's kind of a backwards one because the first hitter of the game got the hit, oh. and then there was no hits after that. So, oh, uh, kind of kind of an interesting way to do it. But yeah, I mean, so many things. Making an All Star game as a Cub, the one game playoff is all obviously huge against the Giants. Yep, 
but yeah, just so exciting. It's always great to be in Wrigley, just, you know, sell, sold out every day, regardless of how we were doing. Took me a long time to get used to day games, but uh, once I did, you know, just, I love it there. It's great, it's great sports now. I tell people, you don't want food, you don't like sports, you don't like beer, you have no business going to Chicago. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. In, yeah, in, know, in 96, that was the All-Star year. Uh, yes. you, you also hit your first home run. You have three career home runs, and you hit it off a pretty good pitcher named uh, Kurt Schilling. Kurt, Kurt Schilling, yeah. And then he Ooh. accused me of cheating. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 3-1 fastball, right down the middle. I hit it down the line into the what used to be the family section. Yeah, and then uh, Mark Grace, I think, got up two or three batters later, and uh, Benito Santiago was catching. Mark made an out or score, whatever it was, but he came in. He's like, um, Kurt wants to know if you were cheating to hit that homer. I'm like, cheating how? I mean, like cork bat, peaking? What, do, what are we talking about? I'm like, crazy. I'm hitting a buck 60. It's 12 degrees out here at Wrigley, and it's a 3-1 count. The guy throws 95. What else is he going to throw me? Fastball. I just ran into it. So You also went to the All-Star game, and you faced three uh, pretty good batters, Sandy Alomar, it was a pop out, a Cal Ripken, a ground out, and uh, a rod, a uh, fly ball. Yeah, nice clean inning for the All Star game. Nice, nice clean inning. Seven, probably of the quickest pitches I ever threw in my <laughs> career. Um, <laughs> had had no uh, no idea how to to prepare because I had up to that point had never really relieved. So um, yeah, got ready in the bullpen. Uh, Bobby Cox called down, said, "Hey, we got to get that Cubs guy in there because he's the only one." Only Cub, you know, on the on the roster. Um, Hot Rod was my catcher, and I threw my entire seventy-five pitch warm-up arsenal as if I was starting a game to get ready for those seven pitches. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It cost me my first start back back in uh, Chicago. I was still worn out because coming back on two or three days rest. But probably should have gave myself one day rest. But I was too young and stupid to do that. Steve, what is it that you? You, your endurance is amazing in, in, a, in a time and when so many pitchers get hurt. And I even when you pitched, it wasn't like pitchers were just staying out there. How did you what was it about your arm? What did you do differently? Were you just blessed with good me- mechanics, genetics? What is it? I have probably a little bit of both. Um, definitely genetics or mechanics or those things just kind of happen. I mean, I worked, obviously I worked out a lot in the off season, but I don't think I did anything different because I was working out with other pitchers. So we were all kind of doing the same stuff. Um, I moved to Arizona so I could work out at the Cubs facilities and be, you know, around the Cubs trainers on purpose to, to, to have that help. But yeah, I don't think I did anything special. I mean, I was max effort on a lot of my pitches. So it wasn't like I was adding and subtracting a lot, you know, like, you know, we came up with that Greg Maddox mold through the minor leagues and, uh, you know, he could have thrown 95 anytime he wanted to. He just didn't need to. You know, I would top out 91, 92 on my max effort stuff. Uh, my curveball was max effort every single time I threw it. So I, I don't know if it was that. Maybe because I didn't throw a slider. I never had elbow issues. My shoulder <laughs> has always been an issue for me all my career. It was something I always had to maintain. You know, I currently have torn rotator, torn labrum. My infraspinatus and supraspinatus are completely atrophied and gone, which was something. I learned a lot of pitchers do have at the time. I thought I was one of the only few, um, but there was a lot of guys that went through that. And so I concentrated on keeping the areas around that strong. But a lot of it, I think it's just luck and proper mechanics and, uh, you know, good work ethic in between starts and keeping a routine. 
Great. They, they called you, uh, some of your teammates called you Maddox Jr. on the mound. You remember that? Yeah, it was before, before Rick Reed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <I think laughs> right. It was, it was one of the first questions I ever got asked uh, when I got to Chicago was, uh, hey, congratulations. We hear you're a control guy. So you're here, obviously here to take Greg Maddox's place. I don't know, 22 at the time. Like, thanks. Uh, <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Big <laughs> yeah. shoes to fill. 20 or 21, you know, Cy Young and. Now he's the favorite guy not here anymore. Yeah, no pressure on me. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go back a second uh, to your high school. Right after high school, you were expecting to be drafted after high school. I was hoping, yeah. And I think it, it was probably better that it didn't happen when you, if you look back at it now. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Maybe I mean, was- if, if you had been drafted at that point. You know, you could have gotten lost in the system. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what would have happened? I mean, I laugh at about it. I graduated five foot 10, maybe 11, 155, 160 pounds. Uh, but I was a control guy. I started off my senior year going five and oh. So I think that's what brought a lot of attention. You know, being in Orange County, you know, it's a pretty hotbed for baseball. I'm getting a lot of attention from a lot of colleges that, you know, that time. And then I think I ended up nine and seven or eight and six or something like that. So it reversed itself pretty quickly. So I ended up having to go to junior college after all of that, which was great for me because I got to pitch uh, Fullerton Junior College, you know, great program, very competitive league. And then I started to grow, you know, learn, I started to learn how to work out and how to take care of myself. By the time I got to Long Beach State, I was 6'3", 185 pounds when I was drafted, picked up, a, you know, maybe two or three miles an hour, but really learned the process of pitching, setting up hitters, you know, with Dave Snow at Long Beach. And, uh, you know, we had a great season, got to the College World Series. We had a lot of players off that team drafted as well. Yeah, two years later, you know, I continued to grow 6'4", 205 at that point, and pretty much held that weight my entire career. So I, I guess I was just kind of a, like a late bloomer. I never really threw any harder than I did from college, but, uh, yeah, just got got smarter had a lot to continue to learn. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff I learned later in my career, I wish I'd known, you know, my first few years could have been a, a completely different situation, especially in Chicago with that inconsistency from year to year. But I mean, it's a, it's a tough game. You, you continually learn, you continue to try to get better. And yeah, I was very fortunate to, to be able to do it for a long time. What was it your coach, uh, Nick Fiscardo that Nick said, that, yeah. yeah, that he, he mentioned, I saw something where he mentioned kind of, you weren't a poker, I'm not a poker player. I can't, mm-hmm. You know, I show my emotions and stuff, yeah. and and that he kind of said that you uh, you you got those under control, I think, and and that's what kind of made you a better pitcher, kind of your last year. It, it definitely helped. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I had this problem of trying to be a perfectionist, which is yes. impossible in life. But when you're on the mound trying to do it, you're, you're trying to repeat your your delivery every single time. And if I would miss a spot. I was not afraid to drop an F bomb, uh, no matter who was in the crowd, anything. And, uh, you know, I'm sure my parents a lot of times are going to put their head down and be, you know, but if, if I was throwing a ball down and away and it went up and in, I was going to let everybody know I wasn't happy about it. And I actually learned part of what learning that was, you know, if you, if it finished up and in, don't let the hitter know you were not trying to do that. Let him think that's where you wanted it and you set to your advantage down the line. And, uh, I remember at my first game at Long Beach, we were at Arizona State, which was one of the schools I really wanted to go to because they were one of the top programs in the nation. And I dropped an F bomb <laughs> and it echoed through. I mean, it was a 10,000 sold out stadium 
but I remember hearing two guys that were from the previous team that happened to be there screaming at me from the first or second row, like, you know, basically clean that F up, you know, to basically never do it again. And I still remember it to this day. And that was probably the big time where I really changed it. But I, I definitely know I still did it in some <laughs> games as well. But uh, maybe I'll just chalk that up to competitiveness, I guess. <laughs> yes. So when you drafted, I, I always wanted to ask someone this. You drafted. Did you have an agent at that time when you got drafted? No, you weren't Cubs? allowed. Okay, uh, so you, you weren't allowed. An advisor. Okay. <laughs> couldn't legally sign anything because then you wouldn't. If, if something were to happen, you weren't able to go back to, to college. Okay. Um, I was kind of lucky. So between Fullerton College and Long Beach State, I went to Alaska to play in that summer league for about three and a half weeks. Okay. Um, I needed like one extra class to get into Long Beach to get my AA. So I went up there and I think I gave up one run the entire time. I think my ERA was like 0.36 or something like that when I was up. Yeah, there. you were. I actually, I looked that up. You were four and oh, I believe, with a point zero point two four ERA. There you go. For half the season. So, that is they had this. They wow. had this tournament. I think it was in Wichita, Kansas. It was a 24 hour tournament. So they'd start a game at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday, and it would just be nonstop baseball between all these teams. You might start a game at three o'clock in the morning if you were unlucky. So I got there and a scout from the Cubs offered me a contract. Now, my pitching coach on that team was my also pitching coach from Long Beach. And he basically pulled me in a corner and said, if you sign that contract, I will break your arm. <laughs> at the time, I had I'd come to realize that, I, that coming out of junior college, I wasn't ready to, to, to make that next step yet. I also wanted to get another year of school under me just in case. So, so I kind of knew based on that that I was going to get a chance after my junior year somewhere as long as I didn't get hurt. So, so that probably took a lot of pressure off me to, to worry about scouts and the you know the radar guns not that there was a lot of radar guns when i pitched but you know the scouts and the stands and all of that so the draft went on while we were at the college world series so guys are getting phone calls before the game yeah i'm first round second round you know so I, whatever it was I, I pitched my game i got beat by wichita state so had a lot of those guys were actually on my alaska team so i think they might have had a little bit of a scouting report on me but um yeah so i ended up getting drafted in the eighth round signed whatever it was a week and a half later after going home and kind of straightening everything out at home. And the uh, next thing I know I was in uh, Geneva, New York for 14 days. And the pitching coach in Geneva, New York was the scout that offered me the contract in Wichita the year and a half prior. So small it's world. kind of a small, wow. small world. It yeah. works out. Yeah. yeah absolutely. It wasn't the scout that drafted me based on the code. That was a gentleman named Gene Hanley, but my first pitching coach was the scout that, that, uh, yeah, that offered me my first contract. Great. And you get to the Cubs, like I said, 93 to 99, 98, you have a pretty good year. You're 15 and eight. That's not too shabby. Not too shabby. Uh, you, ha you had your second home run in that year. Yeah. Of course field against John Thompson, John Thompson, but it was dead center. It was, it was 15 rows deep dead center, uh -huh. just, just left of the pine tree. So can, can argue that it was legit, even though it was course field. Good Nobody shot. kissed you of cheating on that one. Right. <laughs> Did but not, I, yeah. <laughs> But that was also the middle of the uh, Maguire-Sosa home run thing. And I think you gave up number 62 to uh, Maguire. I did. I gave up uh, the shortest home run of his career, I believe. Right. <laughs> yeah, I remember Probably that. Probably the fastest as well. 
The wind was blowing out. Yeah. The wind was blowing out in St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> that was just after they brought the fences in, too. The year before, that would have been a double off the wall. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, and something happened uh, after that that kind of ticked Ooh, you off yeah. when uh, Sammy Sosa came in and congratulated him. It pissed yeah. off a lot of guys. Yeah. yeah. Bush yeah, League. That. That's Bush League. Tell yeah. us about that. Well, yeah, we actually discussed it. You know, we have our meeting, you know, pre-series. And, you know, of course, the meeting started out as, hey, we don't want to give up a home run period because I think at the time he was at 60 and uh, yeah, we were like, we don't want to be the team or the players guys known for giving up this home run. And uh, yeah. So the game before Mike Morgan hit, he, you know, he hit 61 off the of mo. Yeah. I just remember doing the chart going, all right, game is on tomorrow. And uh, yeah, Scotty service. And I talked about, it. he's like, Scott's like, I don't want to have to shake that guy's hand for 62. <laughs> and even Mark Grace was like, nah, we're not doing that. You know, we're not, congratulating him we're not going to celebrate with him or anything like that and yeah throw fa- supposed to be fastball down and in instead of sinking a little bit it cut just a little bit and uh yeah he just dropped the head on it and you know off the bat i figured it was going to curve foul because uh just because of the angle and uh the, the trajectory off the bat and um, i think he hit it so hard it didn't have a chance to hook so <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. right into the the equipment you know where all the field field crew is in in that stadium and uh yeah, and then uh, Mark goes to shake his hand, and I think he's got a handshake at third base too. And then you can see Scott Service when he gets the home plate. Scott shakes his hand, but you can look in his face like he was not happy, and he was very reluctant to do it. But you kind of get caught up in the fact with you know the, the, that many people celebrating in the stands and they were that. And then when Sammy came in, we were just like, okay, what the heck? I mean, this is Mark's moment first of all. This isn't Sammy's moment. That was probably the first little disappointment, but also we're, this is the Cardinals. We hate the Cardinals. The dirty birds. The dirty <laughs> birds. And we are in a playoff race for the first time in a very long time. And we are a game or two out. So not only do we want to kick the Cardinals ass, we need to win this game. To We don't mean granted Sammy was carrying us, give him all the credit in the world. His June was one of the most amazing things I've ever watched all those home runs, but this was just the wrong time, wrong, well, right place, I guess, for this, but at the same time, wrong time, you know, our coaches were not happy. A lot of players were not happy, but, and of course we ended up losing the game on top of it. So, mm, yeah, <laughs> but disappointing to, to have that from a teammate, you know, we're out there competing, trying to, to win, but you know, as a fan, I would understand it. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't there to be a fan. So mm-hmm. right. I want to ask you something else about your time with the Cubs. I mean, you were making a, a one year. You made a, you were making two hundred twenty thousand dollars, not shabby, of course. Right. And then you sign a contract for a one year deal prior to arbitration for two point one million. And you know, you get a lot of players who will say, and and maybe you'll say it. I don't know that you know. Oh, it wasn't the money or whatever or this and that. I want to know what what does it feel like to to sign a deal like that where you you just signed a a, a deal. For two million dollars, right? So what kind of feeling is that? It's uh, it's really hard to describe. Yeah, because I remember seeing a couple guys get checks my rookie year that were almost six figures, a couple of them six figures, and at the time it was really hard to wrap my head around. I mean, I made seven hundred dollars my first you know year a month in A ball, and and by AAA I was making eighteen hundred a month, and I think I was the lowest paid player in all of AAA. To get there, you know, granted, I was I was an all-star the year before. I was, I think it was third in the league or fourth in the league in ERA the year before. 
you know, two out of three years of the top 10 in ERA. So I've done some really good things. Um, but the arbitration process is luckily at that time, the Cubs had never gone to an actual arbitration. It could, could be difficult. And I had a long sit down with Mark Grace. He had actually gone to arbitration and it, it affects the way you look at your front office people. Um, if you read my my brief, I still have it that my agent put together. You would think I was the greatest pitcher to ever step on the field. <laughs> I, I read that thing. I'm like, I can't believe I didn't win Cy Young. I should have won 34 <laughs> games that year. I mean, the way they can manipulate stats is amazing. But then Mark's like, yeah, you want to feel bad about yourself? Go read the owner's brief on you. And you'll be like, how in the world am I even – playing in the big leagues, much less as a professional. I'm the worst pitcher ever. But luckily, those things never went out. The problem that I ended up doing the next year is basically when you make 10 times more money the year than you did the year before, and I was an all-star and had a great year, I went out and tried to be 10 times the pitcher. That was the mindset of a 25-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. I wish I had known something that I'd learned five years later what, or even two years later is, you're not being paid to be 10 times the pitcher. You're being paid to be the same pitcher you were the year before. You're just, mm -hmm. Your check just reflects 10 times different. And if I'd gone out and done that, I wouldn't have lost, what, 15 games or 18 games the next year. Yeah. Or, or, or whatever it was, three years later. And I kind of did that off and on. And I basically yeah, I went out and lost, had a poor year. So I came back the next year saying, okay, I'm going to show you I was not that guy. And I won 15 got another nice pay raise and then went out and did the exact same thing again. Like, okay, now I'm going to show you that I'm even 10 times better than I was a year before led the league and losses. And unfortunately that was the end of my career at the time. I had no interest in leaving Chicago. I love, I love playing there. I wanted to stay. You lead the league in losses and go into free agency. You're, you're scrapping to, to find a job after that. <laughs> well, uh, I know Jeff said your, your nickname was Maddox Jr. When you came in and et cetera. So, but I found another nickname for you and I, I want to know the human rain delay. And, and yeah. you mentioned, you mentioned your quickest pitches in the all-star game. So did you embrace that or was that you, you took offense to it or uh, how, how did you, how did you react to that? It, it took some time and it came out. I, I, I was a little offended by it, but then after getting some study time and actually look at, and this is before we had a lot of tape and stuff like that. Yeah. And I started seeing that I was slow and I would talk to some of the guys on the infield saying, you know, Hey, some of the guys are asking for their days off, you know, on the <laughs> days you pitch, you know, because it's difficult to play defense like that. And wow. you could see, and you would see the umpires. They'd be like, Oh man, I got Traxel on a getaway day. And they're just like, Oh my God. <laughs> oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're like, they're we're worse. They're have worse to change nightmare. our flights, you know, <laughs> because we're, you know, we were hoping for a two and a half hour game and we might yeah. not get it. I had those games. Some of them balls up there say two hours and 10 minutes. On <laughs> but you don't, those are quickly forgotten by the fans and, you know, but the beer vendors, I actually had, as I, as I retired, I went back to a couple of games. I had beer vendors that were still there saying, dude, we loved it. When you pitched, it took three hours to get to the seventh inning. For the beer. <laughs> more beer in your games and made more tips in those games. But well, yeah, and we, beer's important in Chicago. That's for sure. Got a lot of beer and get a lot of tips. Uh, but it was something I worked really hard on in New York. Charlie Huffman in spring training, we'd spend spring trainings and he'd do a stopwatch and we would, we really tried to get better at it. We did get a little bit better, 
just never <laughs> to, uh, you know, Mark Burley standards or, or Glenn Rush standards where, you know, it was just like fire, 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 fire. So uh, a lot of it was just my, my mental prep in between pitches. You know, I'd visualize pitches three, four, five times instead of once or twice. Wow. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. but in my, in, and in my head, it was going really, really, really fast, but uh, in reality, it definitely wasn't. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, now, now, you know, I, I, I've embraced it. I actually, we, uh, there's a couple of breweries out here in San Diego, uh, Mason Nail Works and Stone Brewing. I'm great friends with all those guys. We actually made a beer called the human rain delay. Oh, awesome. So it was, it, and it was a three and a half year process. So it kind of went like that. Yeah. So, so, so we do it. <laughs> I love a wine into it. So yeah, we, we would, we brew it. We put it in some neutral wine barrels. We did it again a year later and again, a, a year later, and then waited six months. We brewed it all together. And uh, yeah, it came out the human rain delay beer. Um, it's got the <laughs> baseball diamond kind of emblazoned in it a little bit. Yeah. So we've embraced it and have a lot of fun with it now. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, you, you kind of embraced it at the time when, when uh, the Mets had a, uh, you, when you got your own bobblehead, you, you actually said the head should bob very slowly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were, we were embracing it better at that point in time. So uh, they didn't want to, uh, I guess they didn't want to put that in there, but uh, yeah. The, uh... <laughs> well, let, let, let me tell you, let me tell you a little something about that bobblehead. There he is. Yeah. That bobblehead was auctioned off at fancy camp. And went for fifteen hundred dollars, so that's pretty good. Wow! wow. Yeah, Jeff, you bought it. <laughs> I wish. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, Bob Bobblehead body. He's a hardcore collector, and uh, yeah, a couple of years prior, we had, we had auctioned off a couple. All that money goes to charity, and yes, somewhere absolutely. along the line, somebody came up to me and said, "Dude, do you know you've got like the the white whale of bobbleheads?" And I'm like, "I have no idea what that means." And he said, "Yours is like one of the rarest." bobbleheads in the history of bobbleheads because they they only gave them out on days i pitched apparently and uh they only gave them i thought it was to an entire section i've heard some people say it was only to one row in the entire stadium i think al lighter was all behind getting that bobblehead set up i thought we should have done like corkscrews or something but you know can't hand those out you know go out and have a bad game before we get in the <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah the bobblehead came out and i've got probably eight or ten left in the garage and oh I tell you, Bobble Ed, after Bobblehead bought the bought bought it for fifteen hundred dollars, Steve charged him twenty dollars twenty dollars to to sign to sign to it. Sign so. it. <laughs> <laughs> All for charity. All for charity. Absolutely. <laughs> so, That's Steve, after you leave Chicago, you said you didn't want to leave there, but you, but you did. You went to the American League in Tampa, and, and then uh, I guess same year Toronto. Yep. You spent the the year two thousand in, in the American League. How was that experience? It was it was a little tough actually because I wanted to go if I couldn't stay in Chicago I was thinking okay maybe California or New York and uh, Steve Phillips was GM of the Mets at the time was one of the first GMs and teams to call us and he was one of the few times you know it was my first time going to free agency and he was telling me hey we want you in New York but we have to move some players to make this happen and every time he was able to move one of those players he would call us immediately say okay we're getting closer. What came down to it was that we weren't able to, to to move the players that were needed to get me there. So uh, I ended up going to Tampa. My entire contract was fully loaded with with incentives based on innings and starts and all that. I, I was healthy. I knew as long as I was continuing to get the ball every five days, I wasn't worried about hitting any of those. But unfortunately, that team fell apart pretty quickly. A lot of guys got hurt really quick. 
And uh, as soon as I started hitting those incentives, they shipped me off to Toronto. <laughs> so, <laughs> did you miss hitting? Because you're a pretty good hitter. I you did. Did. I really missed it. Actually, I think I got a hit off of Al Leiter that year in an yeah. interleague game in New York. Yeah, it was surreal. I mean, going to Canada, Blue Jays weren't on ESPN or anything that often, so I didn't really know much about them. And then once you go up there, nobody sees you on ESPN anymore either. So they don't even. It's like almost like you just fall off the face of baseball earth. Mm-hmm. And you're in another country. I mean, you really another in a country. You know, a, a country where their the baseball is not there you know, the, the, the favorite sport, they love sports, you know, just they do food, sports, beer. So very much like Chicago, <laughs> it's on a lake. <laughs> you know, they love, they probably love their, you know, their hockey a little more than the Blackhawks, even though I'm a huge Blackhawks fan. But the one, one thing you can't get into up there was, was, was a Maple Leafs game. And even being on the Blue Jays, you couldn't get Maple Leafs tickets. But yeah, when, when that ended, Steve Phillips was the first general manager to call us immediately. He said, you're here if you want to be here. And I said, yeah, well, I, I'd love to play in New York. I wanted that pressure. I wanted that opportunity to play somewhere that was, you had to put a team together every year because the fans wouldn't have it any other way, neither would the media. So uh, yeah, I was very happy to to get that, go to New York then. Steve, what's the difference though between, is there a big difference between the American League and the National League? and And what is it if there is? Well, I think the, the obvious is is the pitchers um, hitting or right. not hitting. Um, you're you're replacing a guy that if you're lucky you can hit 200 in the nine hole with a guy that's hitting in the three or four hole that's hitting 340 with 50 bombs and 100. You know, that's the biggest biggest difference. It really changes your your preparation um, when you're looking at the lineup the night before, which is you know I try to watch I, I, in my head I put together the lineup I think I'm going to face the next day, and if it's you know, a pitcher in the ninth hole, that's 15 minutes of study you don't even have to worry about for the most part, give or take, you know, a few guys. You got to put that extra 15 minutes into the DH at that point. Right. And then as a National League pitcher, I, part of my prep was also was hitting that day. I like to hit the day that I was going to pitch. So I'm not doing that. There was another 30 minutes that I'd have to make up for on those days. So uh, it was it was a more of a mental than physical because I had to find 30 minutes of time I could use that studying. If there was a, there was a guy in the lineup that I didn't think was going to be, I could use that time to study him. But at the same time, you you don't want to overkill yourself and overstimulate your brain on guys that you're going to, you know, maybe face or maybe not face. So uh, I prefer hitting. I I, I still think now pitchers should hit. It's just the way the game was designed, but Mm -hmm. uh, I get it from a fan standpoint. They don't want to, especially, you know, guys are, scared to death to step in there. Guys are throwing so hard, supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> so you get to New York in 2001. You finally get to back, back to New York. And your manager is Bobby Valentine. Yep. You have to have a story or two about Bobby Valentine. <laughs> I'm a huge Bobby V fan. You know, from a managerial standpoint, I have never had a guy that had more information about the other team in his head and loved to talk about it. You could say, you know, hey, Bobby, why did we hit and run in the fourth inning with these two guys down two runs or whatever it was? And a lot of a lot of managers just, oh, you know, I had a hunch or whatever. Bobby would have 10 minutes on why it was that important in that situation based on the team we were playing, not only the hitter, our hitter and our runner, but the pitcher 
or the reason the guy was playing second base was a little slow maybe than the guy before to get to the, I mean, he, he had all the analytics in his head before analytics, you know, were as popular. And it was just awesome to be able to talk to a manager about, or ask a manager a question like that and not have them take it as, are you second guessing me? You know, I was doing it, you know, I'm, I'm trying to learn the game because you, you have all these ideas. And as a pitcher, we see the game completely different than, than the hitters or the defenders or the managers and coaches do. And so it was always great to be able to have those conversations with him, whether it be during the game, he would do it or three weeks later at a dinner and he would still remember why he did it and the reasons we did it and the stats to back it up. It was, it was, it was always great. Yeah. That, that team in 2001, at the hell of an infield you had behind you. Best defense I ever had behind me. Not, yeah. It's not even close. I mean, right. just Ray Ordonez. I mean, that's all you need to say. Oh my gosh. Just unbelievable what he can do with his glove and, and just his feet, his footwork, quickness of his hands. I mean, uh, it's just amazing. I mean, Sean Dunson was great mm-hmm. at the hard, throw hard on anybody. I mean, Jeff Blauser was great, but I mean, Ray Ordonez was one of the first few guys that, you know, became like just changed the game. Right. Robert Ventura wasn't no slouch either. <laughs> wasn't no slouch. Plus a little bit of step, but hands are still, were still amazing. And oh my God, talk about a guy great in the clubhouse. Yeah, that every guy on that team was just great in the clubhouse. It's just, and yeah, that was something we needed in New York. That New York, I, I started off rough. I I found out quickly how tough New York is and will be, and uh, I was not prepared for that. Even mm-hmm. Chicago didn't prepare me for Chicago. Could be tough. There's, you know, four or five reporters there that were rough. New yeah. York had twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and you uh, you actually went down to the minors to find your stuff, and you came back, uh, you know, obviously much better. That must have been tough too. But and you threw a no hitter while you're in the minor leagues. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> my, I think it was my second no hitter in the minor leagues. Basically, what happened was I, I got off to such a rough start. I didn't know how to handle the the press and the media, and the whole point of it was was to go down there and get away from that and to just clear my head. I mean, we had Robbie Alomar, you know, was talking about our defense at second base, had noticed in his mind, you know, I felt that I was tipping pitches, mm-hmm. which I was a little bit. So I went down to work on that, worked on some basic pitching stuff, you know, pitching inside a little more, just some location stuff, but mostly just to clear my head, get away from the, from the press. And I, yeah, and I ended up throwing that seven inning no hitter down there, <laughs> first game of a double header. And I'm not even off the field yet. And the press guy for I think it was the Tides comes running out with a cell phone. Like Jay Horowitz is on the phone. I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, the press is all gathered for a conference call. They all want to talk to you about your no hitter. I'm like, well, no, I'm down here to not talk to the press. So no, I don't want to take the phone call. I'm like, this isn't this is not why I'm down here. And he's like, well, it's too late. They already put it on the big big board at Shea Stadium. So sixty thousand people just saw it, along with all the press. So uh, you kind of have to. And of course, the first question is, oh, so does this mean you're coming back tomorrow? <laughs> I'm like, I'm still I'm not even at the dugout yet. I barely crossed the white lines. And I'm like, uh, I have no idea. I think I still got four more days or something before I can come back. You know, so, um, yeah, I ended up coming back the next day anyway. <laughs> right. And Steve, I have to tell you a story. You, when you were down there in the minors, you were working with the sports psychologist, Harvey Dorfman. Dorfman. Right. <laughs> And the funny thing is, I actually, when I got out of college, I got a job, became friends with this guy there. 
I, I know his last name was Dorfman. I get, it may have been Larry, but it was Harvey Dorfman's son. Now, I had no idea who Harvey Dorfman was, but I was talking to the son and I and it came up that I really love baseball. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, you know, my dad has something to do with baseball players. He brings in a book autographed by his dad, and it was actually called The Mental Game of Baseball. That was the first one, yep. And, you know, I, I had no idea who he was, and, and I put the book on a shelf and whatever. Until years later, when all of a sudden, people coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, I, the, the pioneer of, of sports psychology is Harvey Dorfman. Yeah. And it's just, I, I had no idea. So you you actually worked with him, and I guess it helped. <laughs> yeah, it, it truly did. Yes, um, and that was part of when I w- when I went down. Yeah, so he's got that book, the mental ABCs of pitching. There's also the mental ABCs of hitting. But um, yeah, we and that also helped me with my speed up process as well. That was where we literally sat down, and I realized how many times. I was going through every pitch in my head before trying to, to, to make the pitch. And um, basically just came up with a, with a mantra. It's really simple. I had it written in my hat for probably the next three or four years. It was basically just selection, location, execute. So select the pitch as quickly as possible. You know the location and then just execute it and try to get that going. But boom, just boom, 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 boom. And kind of speed up the process and uh yeah it all came down to simply trying to execute one pitch at a time make pitching that simple take all the other head stuff out of it and you see all these quotes greg maddox you know will tell you it's like i'll tell you what pitch is coming it's going to be a fastball it's going to be a sinker on the outer third it's going to be 86 miles an hour and what are you going to do with it you're probably going to roll it over to shortstop hit a ground ball doesn't matter because if you execute it, it doesn't really matter what the hitter. There's not a lot the hitter can do with it. And you simply try to simplify the, pit, the mechanics and everything of pitching to that, and you're able to execute it. It just becomes so much easier. And instead of you know running it through my head five or six times, you know, <laughs> once or twice became enough. And uh, I slow, I sped up a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> at least until guys got on base. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I noticed when you went to uh, to New York and uh, at the Cubs, you had the number forty six, I think. And yes. did having a, the the number, you know, I think you went twenty nine with 29. with the Mets and stuff. Did uh, maybe someone else had forty six, or did that even mean anything to you? Like, oh, you know, Maddox was number thirty one forever. Right. Funny story is, <laughs> I wanted number forty one. <laughs> <laughs> and the hardest, the worst part about it, we couldn't figure out for three days why I couldn't get it. Even probably the clubhouse guys like, we don't have 41. I can't figure out. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like fever. Duh. He was retired. <laughs> Funniest thing. And then, uh, yeah, you know, 29, I just, I wanted, I just wanted to go to something new. I wanted like a complete fresh start. Okay. Um, you know, figure maybe 20, you know, fresh start in New York, a new number would maybe do it. I'm not superstitious, but I started thinking prime numbers. So I figured, ah, you know, so, okay. um, when I went to Baltimore, I think 29 was taken. So the next, obviously 41 was available, still a prime number. So I went to 41. Interesting. And, you know, Maddox was a prime number. Glavin was a prime number. 
Ah. I was like, maybe there's something there. Yeah. I don't know. But Pedro wasn't, so maybe there wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've been trying to get back in my head too much again. <laughs> you played with some uh, great players. I mean, you mentioned Maddox, and you, you played with Sandberg and Glavin, Piazza. And in 2006, the uh, Mets had a great team. You, you had you know, Beltran on that team, David Wright on that team, Jose Reyes on that team. That that you know, that was, must have been one of my favorite Mets teams, and you were, and one of my favorite managers was was Willie Randolph. Yes, yeah. Willie, we Willie love Willie. Great. With that that team, yeah, that's the one thing when when I meet fans, or it's like God, one. I mean, they all they all want to blame it on one pitch, which is completely unfair, you know, to to Carlos. I mean, think about the guy that threw it's going to the Hall of Fame. So I mean, if you can't if you can't strike out against a Hall of Famer. There were so, obviously so many things that could have happened uh, to change that series or or that game, and things that happened during it. You know, with I mean, they take away the Andy Chavez catch. Nothing yeah. ever matters after if he doesn't make that catch anyway. So that team was awesome. I mean, if I think about it too much, yeah, I'll I'll be up all night thinking. You know, I should have a World Series ring back here. You know, mm-hmm. from that team, and along with it, never buy a dinner or a drink again in the city of New York, which. In and of itself would be amazing. Yeah, uh, that team was great. I mean, great group of guys. You know, for me also, I was coming back from my back surgery. So it was real important for me to pitch an entire season pain-free, injury-free, which I was able to do. But, uh, yeah, it just came up, where you want to call it, one pitch, one game, one series short. I mean, uh, I had a horrible game against the Cardinals. No, I wish I could get that start over. No, yeah, but the week before I had a great game to 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 clinch. So I mean, who right. knows? You know, it's not crazy how this game works, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that yeah. was the one where if you think about it too much, it'll drive you nuts. We should have right. won the series that year. Yeah, and you hit your third home run in uh, in two thousand six. Do you remember who it was off of? Uh, I know it was against Cincinnati, and it was off a young kid. And it's the only home run that I knew was a home run when I hit it off the bat. The other two I thought were doubles, so I ran really hard. I never actually uh-huh. saw them clear the fence. I knew that one off the bat was was a <laughs> Elizondo Ramirez. There you go. Yeah, I'm gonna have to write that down. <laughs> I have no. I didn't ever play again after that. Did I, did I ruin his career? I hope I didn't. <laughs> I did. Hit, I did hit a fourth home run that didn't count because it was spring training. Ah. Uh, Eric Eric Gagne. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. You know, we all think Eric Gagne is throwing 99 with the Bucks Bunny changeup. But Eric Gagne was still a starter back then. I went three for three off of him in a spring training game. And uh, I think he got sent down to the minor leagues after that game. Yeah. <laughs> Became came back the most dominant closer that most of us had ever seen for about three years when he got back. So Wow. I think he was with the San Antonio Missions for a while, actually. So maybe he was down here. So, I, Yeah, maybe. Well, he was with the Dodgers then. I don't know what happened in between. I got to tell you, Steve, 16 years in the major league is not too shabby. That's a, that's a really great career. You have over 2,500 innings pitched. You averaged two, over 200 innings. You're never going to see that again. How do you feel about yeah, the game today? Whew, man. Oh. We, how long? We got another hour? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got three, according according yeah. to Lynn. <laughs> we are, you already know I don't like the, uh, the DH. Right. Um, Neither do I, but they got rid of the second base runner extra innings thing. Mm -hmm. I can understand the bigger bases. That's new, right? That's a safety issue. Okay. 
Um, but you already can't slide in to du- break up a double play. So I think th- I thought the safety issue was already handled. So mm-hmm. what about pitching today? Yeah. Pitching today mm-hmm. is there's six innings. That's all, that's all they're going now. If you're lucky. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm in San Diego. I, I, I am screaming at the TV all the time. My wife goes, what are you, why are you yelling at the, you know, the Padres? I'm like, Blake Snell's throwing a no hitter and they took him out four and two thirds or he's winning eight to nothing. And they just took him out before the fifth inning. It's like, I mean, how do you go to your arbitration and go, Hey, I had a great year last year. It was eight and six with a 125 innings and a four and a half ERA. So arbitration, you know, the laugh you out of arbitration is like, great. You didn't even get double digit wins. I mean, one other thing that you did was you pitched two two one hitters in one season. Yeah, first met yeah. to do that. First met to do that. That was that was <laughs> great. Um, the first one was in Anaheim. I had a lot of friends. It was on, and on Father's Day, which was really cool. My dad was at the game, oh, so that cool. was really cool. Anaheim, my hometown, all my buddies and friends and family were at the game, so that that was pretty special. Um, yeah, uh, Eckstein, the little little blooper mm-hmm. over second base in the seventh inning, um, and then the other one, yeah, pitcher. <laughs> Uh, pitcher that supposedly can't hit right right but <laughs> so so grew to a 2-0 fastball and it belts one over the center fielder's head in the seventh inning so uh would have been nice to have gotten either one of those um at the time yeah it was the first time the the Mets Mets hadn't had one yet so that would have right. been very cool to to bend that guy so yeah. but crazy how the game works so and Steve, you also I was going to say you also played for Willie Randolph which we which we mentioned how was it playing for Willie we we've we want to get Willie on the show we haven't yet but he's on the bucket list okay and, and the main reason to tell we <laughs> we want to tell Willie we want to say you know Willie you really got a bum deal oh from the Mets in general yeah. um yeah yeah no he was a very very good manager still shocked it took him so long to to get an opportunity but yeah I mean it took us a little while to get to know each other because he was an infielder and I grew up a Dodgers fan and he was on the Yankees. Right. <laughs> so I did, I held that against him a little bit, maybe a week, but uh-huh. uh, as, as an infielder, you know, they're, they're, they're brought up to, to hate pitchers, but no, I, I love, I have a lot of love in my heart for Willie. I do think he got a, a raw deal. He should have gotten a couple more years at least, but that's, that's part of New York, right? Yeah. Once, whether it be the media or the fans kind of turn on you, they kind of force you to make some changes, whether they should be made or not. Well, Steve, we're going to change gears here. We have a champion pitmaster, Traeger representative. So what is your go-to food to cook on the Traeger? Talk about me or Doug? You, you. <laughs> I know you. You're I the know star Doug. tonight. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm very, always very proud of my tri-tips. Nice. Well, in California, you would be. Right. Yes, which is which is a weird thing. My wife is from Jersey, so her family came out, and I got a I got a show off. So I, I made them a tri tip. I mean, they're slicing it, and it's all done. It's perfect, and they're all looking at me like, "What is this called again?" I'm like, "It's a tri tip." <laughs> like they're like, "What's a tri tip?" I'm, and I it's like sitting right now. I'm like, "What do you, what do you mean? What's a tri tip?" I guess they don't have tri tips on the East Coast. No, I had no idea. Yeah, but that is my tried and true. I go to that. The simple Traeger three two one ribs is a no fail every single time. I love doing briskets. I can't do a giant brisket because there's only three of us at the house that'll eat <laughs> a brisket. So if I could find a perfect two pound brisket recipe, 
two pound. There's no such thing. That's <laughs> a small cow. Have them cut. Okay. You here. Here's what you can do. You can cook a point, which is about five pounds. Let let someone else cut. You know, cook the flat because that's okay. the hardest thing right. to, to cook. Cook a point like you do a full pack of brisket, and you can do that overnight. 180, follow my process. I'll, I'll email you this, but yeah, that would okay. be the thing to do is cook the point. That's, you know, in Texas, we call it the moist part of the brisket, mm-hmm. but but it's really the fatty part, part of the brisket. So okay. that would be the thing. So, and if you go to your grocery store or your butcher, um, a lot of times they're selling the points and they'll take the, excuse me, they're selling the flats and they'll yep. take the points and they'll actually ground it up for like chuck, you know, meat, you know, oh, for wow. ground meat and stuff instead of chuck. So, okay. uh, that's what I would do is ask, ask your, your butcher or your, at your grocery store, the head, the head guy. And, the, and they'll probably at my grocery store, they'll actually go and cut it right, right there. If they okay. don't have any, if they don't have any out in the case, and yeah, you can one, get a five or six One of the things pound. we don't have here, at least around me is, is a, a true butcher. Okay. Sometimes finding things are, are kind of difficult. But actually, uh-huh. you about briskets, that was actually one of my questions I wrote down. I was like, what do you do for stalled brisket? Well, I'm, I'm a, a wrap it and foil guy, you know, the Texas crutch. Okay. So you know, I'll, I'll cook it to, or smoke it to, you know, about 160. And normally I do that overnight. So mm-hmm. I'll, you know, stick it on the Traeger at 180. If it's a large one, if it's not so large, maybe 200 to 25. What, what Traeger model do you have? Oh my gosh. I've had it probably nine years now. So it only goes up to the very high mark, which is supposed to be 450. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. So it's, it's maybe like a Texas or a little Tex or something like that. That's, it's the medium size one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably a little Tex. So that, that's do, actually I one of my favorite chicken in it without, you know, it'll stand up. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that, yeah, that that's fine. And then, you know, cook it overnight and then wrap it at about 160. So I get about 12, like you said earlier in the show, low and slow, get about 12 hours of smoke on there. And then, and then I'll wrap it at about 160. Always add moisture when you wrap, you know, some beef broth or something like that. And then I'll, I'll turn it up. And depending on if I'm serving at 12 or one, I'll turn it up higher if I'm serving at six and I, and always let it rest for at least two hours. So, you know, I'll I'll do the, I'll do the wrap it in the, in the beach towels and all that. Yep. And then do you wrap it when you're wrapping uh, and you're cooking, you're wrapping in foil. Yeah, foil, and then okay. yeah, I'll do it in a beach towel, and I'll throw it in a, in a cooler. And but my moisture is the West Coast IPA. I spray it down with West Coast IPA. Oh, there you go. That's yeah. nice. That's See? that's actually good. So See, that's well, my secret. I just gave away. Do you do you do you separate the au jus from the from the the oil? I put it all together in one sprayer. So. Oh, oh yeah, no, no. I mean, I mean, when when you're serving oh, the brisket, yeah. Okay. You will never ever cook a dry brisket if using this tip. Basically, use a fat separator, you know, because okay. the au jus will go down to the bottom. The oil, the oil yep. is, uh, yeah. So you use that after you cut the brisket, and then you can put that au jus over there. If it's a little little dry, you'll never have another dry dry brisket. So, and it's also good when you when if there's only two or three of you when yeah. you're freezing it put it in the bag with some, a little extra au jus okay. and then that that'll actually be perfect for the next time. So when you reheat it, it's almost like, like you just cooked it that day. Nice. And then he's going to talk about wrapping it. You guys got this stuff. I've never used it. The pink butcher paper. Butcher I don't paper. use it. I don't okay. use it. 
<laughs> I don't use it. Yeah. You won't yeah, tell yeah. Traeger. It's on their website. Oh, I, I actually, okay. I, I take it back. I use it for the background, like a placemat for my Instagram photos. <laughs> so, so I do use it in that capacity, but not, okay. not to cook with. So, right. yeah. It's supposed to maintain the bark. That's what butcher paper is supposed to, you know, because okay. it breathes instead of foil, which is going to, they say, will cook uh, more. Cook. Almost. Well, it, it'll help. The foil will help render the fat out more. And if you want the bark, just take it out of the foil and put it on for 30 more minutes at the end and you're fine or let it rest and then put it on for 30 minutes and that'll harden up the bark and it'll be better than the butcher paper. Uh, so, so you've got the best of both worlds. Nice. Right. You know what, Steve? You know what I love? The fact that you were being interviewed by us and yet you wrote questions to oh, ask. Yeah. That's yes. love. And, yeah. and I'll tell you what. So we're the Baseball and Barbecue Podcast. And Doug is, we've had Doug many times. We love Doug. Um, he's become a guest co host with us. And Thank you. he had on Howard Johnson. Okay, Ho- yeah. Hojo. Okay, yeah. and Hojo loves to use his big green egg. Okay, and he came on, and he would much rather talk about barbecue <laughs> than his career. <laughs> I just love it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll convert him some to, someday to a to a Traeger as well. Traeger. But, uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> but but okay. I know that you're. Are you involved in? I'm actually my wine collection is I think half of your wine collection. Mm-hmm. I've got okay. 700 bottles, and I. Saw you had like fifteen hundred or something like yeah, that. It's, so. it's grown since then, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, all right. That was an old statistic. So, yeah, well, but, you uh, know, COVID. What else are you going to do, right? <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, cook, I mean, if you cook, <laughs> uh, most of the time, I'll pick out the wine before I before I decide what I'm going to make. So, oh, fantastic! What varietals are are your favorites? Uh, that's that's the other problem. There's nothing I don't like. What? Um, oh, okay. Pretty, yeah, I'll. I mean, obviously, cabs and pinots. Yeah, in California, but I, I I love Italian wines. I'm really into Spanish right now. No kidding. Um, yeah, I just kind of go through these cycles where where I'll do two two or three days. I'll, I'll do a cab. Then I won't touch a cab for like two weeks. I'll just be like Pinots and Tempranillos, and every once in a while a Zen. That's probably the one I don't really have a lot of. The red Zen. Yeah, for, the- from like we we go to Lodi every now and then. So okay. yeah, we we actually like that area in Amador County and Fair Play yeah. up up in Sierra Foothills. But, uh, but, but yeah, yeah. I, my, my wife loves anything Sangiovese, so I have a, I have a lot of Brunellos, a lot oh, of Chiantis, okay. you know, and then the Super Tuscans so, out of Italy are just. So are you involved in the industry, or or it's just kind of a? Um, a, a I've actually I'm actually a level one sommelier. So I, I are you? Yeah, I took I took the first level test. Congrats. I, I talked about importing for a while, but being in Cal, what I was going to import, I have some friends to import from France. So mostly Burgundies. So, you, so, you know, being in California, yeah, Napa, Sonoma, Oregon, Washington, Italy. <laughs> and then when you finally do get to France, it's Bordeaux and Burgundies, like, you know, ninth on their list of what anybody's looking for. So it'd be very difficult to, to move that, that here, especially in San Diego. There's only half a dozen restaurants where that would probably work. So I just decided to put them in my cellar instead. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> instead of instead of getting into that business, I'm a tiny investor in Blackbird Vineyards. Oh, okay. Uh, in Napa, which, you know, which I'm a huge fan of, of Aaron Pot, the winemaker. Most of those wines are Merlot-based, which is which is great. Great food wines because he's he, he trained everything in France. But 
there's just so much out there. It's so great. I mean, at the point now, my, my, my seller's overflowing. You know, I used to buy cases, then I started buying sixes. Now I'm buying in threes, if oh, I'm buying anything uh, at all. Yeah, right. it's just, you can barely walk through there. You have to like step over boxes and stuff. And just one big giant Tetris game in the cell. <laughs> As a Mets fan, do you have a bottle of Tom Seavers wine? I have quite a bit of Seavers wine, yes. Um, I actually brought a couple to, to the fantasy camp this year uh, mm-hmm. for the, uh, the, the the auction there for the charity. So uh, that was one of the first things I did when uh, when I got done playing. I took my parents to Napa, went to t- went to see Tom up at the at his winery, and he couldn't have been more gracious gracious host he uh my dad was freaking out because he's like oh my god it's tom seaver uh, <laughs> he's uh, in my mom's hand walking around and she's like freaking out like oh my god this hot you know hot old man is holding my hand walking me around the- <laughs> and i'm thinking now oh, i'm where i love being i'm at, i'm in the grapes hanging out with a baseball guy we're gonna drink some amazing wines and go check out all of his memorabilia awesome so he, he was he was just fantastic so um yeah there's so many stories. I love being in Napa. The food up there is great. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, I miss Tom. I still, yeah. luckily I've still, still got, I think I just got six bottles sent me to, to me the other day. So uh-huh. I buy, cool. I buy all the wine. They'll let me with his, his winemaker is amazing. His vineyard manager is amazing. His location of the, his, his house of there is just absolutely stunning. Yeah. That's, we all miss Tom. That's amazing that you got to spend a day up there with him when you brought your, your family. That's, that's such great. Well, I used to talk to him a lot when he was doing TV. He would come in in spring training, and he, me and, me and Mike Bowser, we talked wine all the time. But he, he would talk about all the Italian stuff. And then Tom came in and said, "Hey, I'm talking about doing this winery. We, you know, I don't know what to name it. It's like I want it to stand on its own. You know, be known for what it is. I don't want to have my name associated with." It. I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. You know, he's like, I think it was Models or whatever. I already told him they found out about it. And they, they was like, we'll buy every bottle before you're even. And he basically told him to screw off. He's like, this mm. isn't why I'm getting into this. And he's like, I'm a farmer. My families were farmers. Mm. So when it came out, GTS, he came out with the name. He said, great, make sure I get some bottles. And I want a Magnum, the first vintage. And I want you to sign it. He's like, no, I'm not, I'll never sign a bottle. That's again, it's not why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically take, told him, Hey, take your wine and go shove it up your head. <laughs> 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 with him. Still didn't get me a bottle, <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> but he got a good chuckle. I came back the next day. He's like, Hey, you know, it's like, I appreciate you actually getting on me about that because most guys in here were afraid to do that. And it kind of showed that we actually had a you know pretty good little friendship. There's another guy on the team from uh, that was huge into wines, and um, I'll remember it later. But we used to drink wine on the that charity boat trip that we used to go on, that they would do in the harbor, go around the Statue mm-hmm. of Liberty, and all that. So uh, yeah, I would bring a bottle, Tom would bring a bottle, and we'd just go upstairs and we'd crack it and hang out and sign autographs and drink wine, talk wine, and you know, eventually we'd get a few that get you know fans would come over that were into wine and be like, oh my god, what are you guys drinking? And uh, just yeah, it creates a lot of great memories. That's great. I used to bring wine on the planes <laughs> <laughs> back when we were able to do that. You know, I'd crack bottles in the back of the plane, just like go up and just go, Hey, come back and talk, man. You know, I'd go up and set one in front of Mike and Hey, guys want to hang out with you. Come into the back of the plane, have a glass of wine with us. And, you know, let's just hang out and get to talk non non baseball stuff and just learn about each other. I'm, I'll be cooking at a uh, wine and uh, barbecue festival in uh, Santa Barbara on July 15th. So maybe okay. we, if if you're up in that area, we can uh, we can make sure you you get tickets to that. So 
might be able to work that out. Yeah. We have, yeah. Uh, we'll be at Pacific Beach that week, but it might be worth a drive. Okay. Yeah. Steve, That'd before be I let before I let you go, just tell us about your your experiences at, at, at Fantasy Camp. How long have you been doing it? And I know some of the guys really love to do it. And oh, it was my first year. I loved it. I hope to go back. We'll see. I, mean, I, I know I got other things going on uh, this year, but maybe in another year. But it was just the best time I ever had. So tell us about your experiences there. It's yeah, it's been I think four years I've done it now, maybe five. And if you want to meet people that know more 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 about what you did in the game, <laughs> I've learned more about my career at Mets Fantasy Camp than I knew myself. It's been, they they know everything about the Mets, and then they know everything about the Cubs and it's just like most of them, you know, hate the Cubs just because of the playoffs and stuff what? like that. It's impossible. It, it's really, it's amazing to me that there's guys that have been going there for 15, 20 years, you know, and it's the same group that, especially that first week, it's probably 80% of all repeat guys. And they, they do stuff together away from fantasy camp. They go and play tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, they put together huge events at, at the city field. You know, they'll just say, hey, you know, we've got 60 seats out in left field. Who wants to come? And within three or four minutes, it's booked. And it's right. all guys from from fantasy camp hanging out together. And uh, we go, I go back to Jersey every Thanksgiving. I always try to plan at least one day, hopefully two. I'll just mention, I mean, just mentioning the fact that I'm in, in New York, I'll, I'll get 50 DMs from guys like, are you nearby? You know, let's go. And we took, just pick a place and we try to go and not have a beer or, or whatever. And it's just great. And I've made some great connections, you know, both ways. There was a guy this year was orthodontist for my nephew, niece and nephew. Didn't uh-huh. even know it at the time. And, uh, you know, it goes back to that small world, but you know, so many connections in New York and guys that are into wine, into food, you know, other than baseball, golf. I mean, so much stuff. It's just, it's been awesome. I yeah. look forward to it every year. I was on uh, Duffy Dyer's and Ron Sabota's team and oh. it was just, well, you know, you've got I, stories then. Oh. <laughs> and I, I, I was seven years old in 69. So that, that, those guys were like, uh, you know, my heroes. It was great. Yep. Best time. See, it popped in my head. Rusty Staub. Rusty Staub. Oh. <laughs> Staub. Huge, huge wine guy. He would, yeah. So he was, yeah. Can't believe it. Well, he had a, the restaurant, of course. At the restaurant. Yep. Yeah. Started that nice charity after 9-11. Yeah, it was great. But yeah. All right. One last quick cooking question. Yes. Baseball cut fillet on the Traeger. Is it worth it, or is it fillet too soft and? Oh, uh, like a, a baseball sirloin kind of cut. Yeah, yeah, baseball cut. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I actually cook that just like a to to a certain extent, like a, a small steak or you know tri tip. Yeah. When you said you cook a tri tip perfectly, I'm I'm sure you're doing like 134, or maybe reverse searing it and 225 and, tops. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Cook it at two twenty five, but yeah, it's, you know, maybe reverse sear it to one thirty four, et cetera. So, yeah, I would do the same with with a baseball sirloin as well. Okay. So, yeah, do that. But when I was in California, a lot of people, I got a lot of gray tri tip, which I was surprised at, hmm. and uh, you know, versus you know a medium rare kind of tri okay. tip. So, yeah, that. Uh, but it, it, at my events, I normally do a contest between tri tip and picanha. And no offense to Southern California and Santa Maria, Picanha actually wins about 60, 40, 70, 30 on, really? in terms okay. of flavor and taste as compared to tri-tip. So if you don't cook Picanha, you ought to try that, which is kind of like a top sirloin, basically okay. trim off, you know, trim off the fat 
and and cook it like a steak and uh, give that a try and 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 even do you know I'm always doing a competition. Every, life is a competition. Cooking is a competition. Cook a tri tip. Cook a picanha. Let the family decide which one they like or you know. Uh, I literally just heard about picanha maybe two weeks ago. Oh no, I've, kidding! I've never heard of it before. Never seen it before. And uh, there's one butcher. Of course, it's a Wagyu picanha, which I had. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's never in stock either. So I'm not even sure where to even find one of those out here. Uh, Well, I'm actually sponsored by E3 Meat Company, which is owned by Adam LaRoche, if you know. No kidding. Um, Yeah. And that's why it's called E3, Error on the First Baseman. In his glove, he used to have E3 there because he's like, I'm always going to make an error. I need to just move on. So that's what it's called. And they they sell a a top sirloin or picanha. And usually at like the chamagachos, they'll come with the, you know, the skewers. It'll have a fat cap on it and it's in a C and then they'll slice it off. I always trim that fat cap off in the same way that I do tri-tip and, okay. and then cook it as a steak. It's called a coulette steak in that format, but um, it, it's very similar to tri-tip. It's just the top por- portion. It's called actually a picanha from the pecan, which was what the Portuguese vaqueros used to hit the steers to get them to move. That stick that they used on the rear quarter, they would okay. hit them right there to get the steers to move. And that was called, and that's why it's called picanha. Wow. So tenderizing beforehand. Yeah, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Depends on how many times you hit them with it, but yeah. sure. Yeah, but sure. But yeah, get yeah, give that a try. I've I've actually got a couple of recipes on on uh picanha, yeah. So but uh yeah. Awesome. Well, well, thank you so much for your time, Steve. It has been so so Wonderful. great talking to you. Oh yeah, yeah. it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I didn't even ask uh, you to get to talk about spaz cocking yet, but it's all right. <laughs> oh, wait. Look, let's go. <laughs> yeah. You know, Doug, Steve, we don't want to take your time. Yeah, I mean, I've got, a, yeah. I've got a whole turkey left over from uh, Thanksgiving I haven't done yet. I've never made a turkey on the trigger yet, you know, depending on spatch cocking or doing whole bird. De- well, yeah, you, I would definitely do it spatch cock. Okay. Have a good pair of kitchen shears, you know, to take that backbone. Yeah, not out, easy to know? take out a turkey's yeah. backbone. It's, it's really, a, yeah, I actually almost come at it from both sides. You know, on okay. a chicken, you can kind of come, you know, go mm-hmm. go one direction. But, you know, the, where the thigh, you know, the, the thighs are, that where means that you'll have, actually have to come at it from both sides, I think. But um, okay. I've got Cutco, but, uh, you know, really good, you know, that cuts pennies and stuff. So, but definitely do a spatchcock. And that actually reduces the cooking time by half because okay. you're, you're laying it out flat. And it'll cook very evenly that way. Nice. So okay. start off cooking it with the breast towards the back and then flip it around halfway um, and then, and then mm-hmm. cook the breast towards the front because you're really most interested in the, in the, uh, the breast temperature because the, mm-hmm. the leg and the thigh can go to 180 or so. You just want the breast to, to kind of go to 160, 165. Okay. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's one I got to make sure I have people over for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need a lot of people for that, for that one. The, but, the brisket, uh, right. And, yeah. and Doug, are you brining it? What What are you doing with the turkey? How are you prepping it? Um, You know, I'm not a brine guy. I'm, uh, you know, for, I think it's a waste of time and money. Mm-hmm. I am an inject, injecting guy. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you have Tony Chattery's. Yeah, out, I got the, out of, the needle. Yes, the needle. So you mix Creole butter with the jalapeno butter. 
you mix the two and then you inject that. I'm assuming you've got maybe a 14 to 16 pound bird. That's kind of about the right size. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, more than 16, that's, that's a little too much, you know, too many steroids, but we won't talk about that, but 14 talking to about 16, the needles still? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, the turkey, yeah, the needles. Exactly. Nice. So exactly. So you're injecting the Tony Chatteries in there and I would put two of those inject it and, and then let it, let it roll. So okay. yeah, with chickens, a blank, you know, in Turkey, it's a blank canvas. So inject that in there and it's fantastic. Yeah, I do game hands quite a bit too. Just, yeah. Just, okay. Yeah, exactly. So those are easy you, to you, split. you can inject that. And so, yeah, I cook spatchcock chicken. So, you know, in Texas, we cook half chickens or we cook spatchcock. It takes maybe another 10 to 20% more time when it's, when it's connected together than okay. if you, than if you, uh, you know, just cook a half. So a little extra time, but otherwise, but certainly much less than if you cook the entire bowling ball Turkey. So okay. it'll be about half the time. Perfect. Now, what are you Three. putting on the outside, sir? On the outside, any oh, kind of uh, for the skin? Oh yeah. I, I, I put, you know, I put head country. I put, uh, Harry Sue, if you've heard of Harry Sue, um, he's a barbecue guy. I use his jailbird chicken, you know, suckle busters make. So, so I'll just put a chicken rub. You can even put the Tony Chatteries rub on the outside with something else, you know, another, another rub. So not, not anything with a lot of, uh, sugar because sugar burns at 325. So you kind of want to keep it, keep that uh, a little low, but, uh, the, the salty type rubs are fine, but. What about a homemade rub, like uh, with simple ingredients? What do you put um, in? Oh, yeah, simple ingredients. I, I would use, I'm never afraid to use salt, pepper, garlic on almost anything. You know, that, that type of rub. Maybe add a little paprika, especially if you're doing chicken or turkey, you know, for a little color. You know, a little, little paprika, maybe a little chili powder. Um, but, uh, but otherwise, but salt, pepper, garlic for a lot of, you know, red meats and things like that. But I like a little color on, on my chicken and turkey as well. Okay. Crispy skin. Yep. Crispy skin. <laughs> That's why you can even air dry it overnight in the refrigerator. That'll help a little bit with the crispy skin and then cook it at 325. And yeah, so, so get it somewhat hot, but not too hot. Then mm -hmm. it'll burn it. Just don't tell my doctor. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I know. Exactly. <laughs> what do you mean you bacon wrapped your turkey? <laughs> right. <laughs> Steve, it's all what proteins. It's all protein. Do you make ribs at all? I do make ribs. I just do the simple three, two, one, three, you know. That's, oh, yeah, that's uh, right. You said three, two, yeah, one, it, right? It, it's never failed me, so I, I'm yeah. afraid to kind of go away from it. You know, and it's it's routine. It's right on time for me. So I can, you know, do other stuff and crack bottles and <laughs> make, make sides or whatever. So I know exactly what, what, what time will be done and all that. So it, yeah. And you have a favorite kind of sauce? We have up by my parents in uh, Yorba Linda. Uh, there's a barbecue place called Lucille's. They have a sauce that my, I, I have my parents bring down for me when they come down, they make it's a mustard based one that, that I like a lot. So I'm a big fan of mustard. So anything mustard based, uh, I'm pretty much in. And then uh, oh. the rope I'm using now. Uh, so my daughter, she's actually going to school in New York, but we went to Texas to, to look at that university there and, and uh, went to the, the Tony Black's. So I brought his rub home for some stuff. So I've been using that, his beef rub. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Blacks. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. one of the oldest ones in, uh, in Texas. So in yeah, Texas, yeah. I went to the original yeah. one in, in Lockhart. In Lockhart. Yeah. 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 
So yeah. they have one and they have one in Austin now. So I'm like, oh, we got to go. So they have four or five now. Yeah. Do they really? Oh. Well, they've got an, a second generation to take care of in terms yeah. of other. other. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, so I, I brought their road home. So that's the road I'm currently using because it's I still have it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Very nice. Well, yeah, Steve, I don't want to interrupt you, but do you have any more? You know, Doug is uh, Doug. Just tell him what what major competition you won. The the Houston Rodeo barbecue competition. So it's like one of the four majors in uh, in barbecue. So um, I won that in 20 and actually won that in chicken, believe it or not. So chicken beat out ribs and brisket that year, but, uh, um, but, but I've also finaled in ribs there too. So, um, yeah, so just, yeah, we just got back from that. In fact, the last, the last time I was on a guest host, I was, I was there at the, uh, at the Houston rodeo. So that's right. Who who do we have on when you, when you were on Derek Richards, Derek Richards. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a, we had a barbecue guy, another barbecue guy. And, and uh, cause Doug, Doug gives us legitimacy. Yeah. That's, that depends on who you ask, but yeah. So, but Steve, once again, thank you so much. It's been a delight. Oh, talking yeah, for that. And yeah, uh, it worked out. It took a little while, but yeah, we got it done. All right. And, we appreciate uh, you know, it. yeah, much. we appreciate it. And you know, best of luck with the, uh, everything you do with the wine and the barbecuing and your, anything you have going on. So, Two young I, kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Two young kids. Yes. I hope all over. I hope to run into you when you come back east during Thanksgiving time. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we'll be there in August, too. We got the, I think, Old Timers game. Oh, I'll be there. So I might, uh, have, I might not have been allowed to say that, but oops. Uh, no, I got my ticket. So uh, hypothetically I'll, speaking, I will be there. All right. Definitely. I'll try to hook up with you. All right. I'm going to apply for credentials for that game. Oh, good right. to meet you, sir. Yeah. Absolutely. As a Cubs fan, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Steve. Thank you, guys. Leonard, Steve Trax, that was, that was a great interview. He was so good, so funny. He, he was, that was just terrific. I mean, those stories, I mean, he really touched me when he talked about going to Tom Seaver's vineyard with his parents, and oh, it was just great. Yeah, yeah. And, and as I said, having Doug on there, we accommodate our guests. It's, it's just a good thing that he didn't, I don't know, that it, it's a good thing he wanted you, you, to talk barbecue because... We, we knew a great pit master to bring on, but if he wanted to talk something else, I, I don't know what we would have done, but that was, well, that was great. He, he, really, he likes talking wine too. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's true. I guess Doug can talk that also. I can't. <laughs> I, I, I can drink wine. <laughs> you know what I was going to ask him? What's the best wine in a box? What do, what do you recommend? <laughs> well, you know, he's an investor in Blackbird Vineyards in, in California. Really? Yeah. So I'm sure that's good. Jeff, tons of people take multivitamins, but it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to start your day right. Their special blend of ingredients supports gut health, your nervous system, your immune system energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's all lifestyle friendly, and it fits a wide range of diets. There's only one gram of sugar and no chemicals or artificial anything. Reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. 
It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash believe. That's a B-L-E-A-V. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash believe. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. So, Len, I yes. got a little, uh, little bone to pick with you. Oh, I knew this was coming. Go ahead. I don't know if anybody has noticed on episode 126, but there was maybe a little tension between us. I don't know if it was noticeable or not. We talked oh, about- you could slice it with a knife. It was so noticeable. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, you know, I told you that we had you know, it's, it's barbecue seasons coming up. I mean, for those who barbecue during the uh, non-winter months. Right. And I, I told you I had a problem with my barbecue, that my igniter didn't work. Yes, so, that's a serious, uh, Jeff, that's a serious issue that needs major, major work. So it's my Weber gas grill. Yeah, and I've been lighting it with one of those long lighters that you just put it right onto the uh, gas supply. So didn't know what to do. So I asked you for advice, and you didn't give me any. So I, I, I called our local service. It's at a local place here, and I had to make an appointment. They finally came out, and within twenty seconds, yeah, you know, all this guy asked me was, "Do you have a battery?" Len, it was a battery. It was a a little double A battery. Your non-advice cost me a hundred bucks. Thank you very much. <laughs> wow. And the thing is, you have a Weber gas grill. Yes, I do. Older than mine. <laughs> and I've never had an issue. Well, that, that's a problem, I guess. Hey, I hope they gave you a good a good battery, like uh, either you know an energizer or a Duracell. No, no, no. I had to supply the battery. But the guy was very, very nice. He said, you know, he, he did a maintenance on the grill anyway. So that was very nice. So at least I, you know, I felt I got my money's worth. Wow. But uh, if I knew it was just a battery. Okay. I never, I never professed to be an expert on gas grills, but uh, I, I feel shame. I, I definitely. <laughs> that's Jeff. That's like when you have this light won't turn on. And you call the electrician. Oh, it's not plugged in. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. You know what? We 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 just we just had a great guest. We had Steve Traxel, right? And now we're gonna end with that. <laughs> oh, but before we do, I, I believe first of all, you have a letter to read. And of course, uh, yes. I want I... I want people to know that they can get in touch with us. Our phone number is 516-855-8214. Our email is baseballandbbq at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page, so please put some comments on our Facebook. Twitter, you can tweet us. Tweet us. Five with, I'm going to give the phone number. Tweet us at baseballandbbq. Instagram is baseballandbarbecue. With barbecue is all spelled out. And we have a website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And really, we'd really appreciate everybody if we just rate and review us. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Yes. This letter? Letters? We get your... Oh, yeah. I'm the, 
I would have sang this song, but I will spare everyone. We spent an enjoyable afternoon listening to your latest podcast. Great. So proud of you. Shirley and Maybell were a hoot. When they come for the ribs and chicken, we are coming too. That is from loyal listeners of the show. <laughs> Sounds like your parents. It, it, it is my it is my my parents. It's my mom and dad. Oh. It says love mom and dad. Okay, so <laughs> wait, wait a second. Wait a second. They, they said they're very proud of you. Very proud of you. Well, I mean, it was a universal you, Jeff. I'm sure they meant you too. You okay, know. Well, I, mean, I yeah, I just want to feel a little left out. I mean, you know. Yeah, I, I, I get you. I get you. Jeff, before we go, so people know this show is presented by Bet Online. One more thing that I want to mention is our friends at BaseballBBQ.com for their incredible grilling tools and accessories. Check them out. Go online. And Jeff, how are we going to end this one? You know... Baseball always brings you home. From the poet, Shel Krakowski, the musician, Dave Dresser. See you on episode 128. We can't wait. Clap.